hey, Crosspoint, this series has been so powerful. And, uh, and I hope you've been, you've been following along. We've been learning together about the way that God shapes us and forms us, how He refines us and helps us discover who we were created to be in Him. You know, I've been dreaming about today for quite some time. I mean, for seven years, really. I mean, since the time that God called our family from, uh, from Georgia, Northeast Atlanta area to Cross Point. And, uh, and we left our extended family and we left the church that we love. And, uh, and frankly, we never, we never thought that we would, we would leave. The church is called 12 Stone and it's a multi-site church in, in Gwinnett County. And, and one of the reasons that we love that church so much is the leadership. Uh, our lead pastor, Pastor Kevin Myers, and being at that church, like we were able to experience um, God's favor, a, a, a move of God. And, uh, and it was, uh, it was one of the fastest growing churches um, in, the, in the country. And what I so admire and respect about Pastor Kevin is that through all that growth, um, he remained humble and stayed faithful in the middle of it, giving all the glory to God. And, uh, and I learned so much from, from watching him. You know, they say that a lot of people can handle adversity, but if you really want to see what somebody's made of, give them success. Uh, and I watched Pastor Kevin um, live with such dependence on God, and, and I learned so much from him. Um, it's why when we were talking about doing the series Crafted, I wanted you to hear from him. Because Pastor Kevin is somebody that God has used in my life personally to help shape me and form me. Um, he's been like a spiritual father to me. And, uh, and he's said the hard things and he's demonstrated the grace and offered up words of wisdom and friendship and, and faithfulness. And it's an honor that he's with us today. So I wanna ask you to whisper a prayer, just asking God to speak to you. Um, and then I wanna ask you to put your hands together and let's welcome Pastor Kevin to Crosspoint. Well, I love Pastor Kevin Queen and Ree and the family and, and this church. And thank you for letting me hang with you for the weekend. I, I, I want to say something right off the top if I can. You probably don't need to hear it, but I'd like to say it. And the first thing is this. God's hand is on this church. L listen, God, you are a great church. And God has a calling upon this church greater than you even know or experience. And you should just pause for a moment. When you're a part of something that is so good, you kind of get used to it. You forget how good it is. Just go ahead and take a moment and tell God, thank you for our church. Just whisper it to him. Thank you for our church. And while we're at it, listen, God has his hand on Pastor Kevin Queen. I call him KQ. It gets confusing between two Kevins. So I'm PK, he's KQ. So I, I call him KQ. But listen, you have a great pastor in Kevin Queen and his wife, Ree. And listen, this is October. It's National Pastor Appreciation Month. He doesn't want me to do this, but I think y'all should do this. I think y'all should give it up in gratitude to honor your pastor, his wife, their family, and all the good that God is doing through you guys. I promise you, you have a great pastor. He is anointed by God and he is worthy of being followed. So today is, is, a, is a couple of firsts for me. It's my first chance to be here on a weekend like this. Grateful to be here. But there's a second first. And this first was the first time uh, Kevin Queen schooled me for teaching. Let, let, let me just explain. <laughs> Long ago in a galaxy far, far away called, called Atlanta, before KQ was as good as you know him to be, <laughs> Uh, I invited him to be a campus pastor alongside me. He was our first campus pastor at 12 Stone. 
And, and then uh, sometime after that, uh, while we were multi-campus, I brought him up and said, man, I'm uh, going to start training you. You, you become teaching pastor uh, alongside. And, and when I was teaching him, schooling him to be teaching pastor, I said, no, no, uh, KQ, Queen, here's, here, listen, you got to figure out how to fit inside my series. I don't want you to just go up there randomly, say whatever's on your mind. I like, like here, here's the scripture I'm using. Here's how you fit in it. Here's what I'm doing this week. You fit here. Here's what I'm doing this. Don't steal my stuff for the future. Don't do a one-off where it looks like, where did that come from? So I get a phone call from KQ a few weeks ago. You know what he does? Now listen, I'm doing a series. Here's what I'm doing in the series. Here's the scripture you need to fit in. Here's what I'm doing before you. Here's what I'm doing after you. Don't steal my stuff. I mean, he, he schools me in the same thing. And I hung up the phone. I thought, well, that's fantastic. I'm now being schooled by the one I schooled. Here's the things he told me. We're in the book of Ephesians. Let's put the scripture up there. Look at this. Ephesians 2.10. The center of this conversation and what God's going to stir in you if you'll attend to him today. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're his handiwork. If you were here last weekend, okay, you talked about in the original Greek, it means poem. What it literally means is the hand of God is on you, and he's crafting you into his masterpiece. Then he gave us the illustration of Michelangelo and how he took this massive piece of marble and sculpture, took the hammer and the chisel and just sculptured. And over that three-year period of time, gets this 17-foot David that is the most famous of, of sculptures. And when asked, how did you do that? Michelangelo said, well, I just removed everything that wasn't David. Listen, we're having a conversation about God chipping away at your life to remove everything in your life that isn't Jesus. Biblically, the word is sanctification. Yes, it's a big word. In fact, I was proud of, of KQ for knowing that word and bringing it before you. I'm not so proud of you. That's a big word. But let's put a definition to it. You have a working definition in this series. I'll put it on the screen. Sanctification is the lifelong process by which those who follow Jesus are made more like him, empowered by the Holy Spirit for the purposes of God. See, sanctification is the chipping away. God's made you holy, and this sanctification is going to make you whole. God has imagined so much more for you than you have. Now in this conversation, <laughs> KQ gives me this, here's what I'm doing, here's what you're doing, here's where I'm going next week. Don't steal my next week. I wanted to, to be honest with you. I did, because he's done that to me, but that's a whole nother conversation. But he pulled something, insight from Henry Nowen that sits right inside scripture. It's, when you look over Jesus' life, you see a pattern. Solitude, community, ministry. It's so okay, Q said, look, I, I'm doing solitude, which you did last week. Great teaching. Kevin, PK, I want you today to do community. And then next week I'll do ministry. Don't steal my stuff. 
Stay inside my series, make it fit. So I'm ready, are you ready? And by the way, by the way, this, when, I'm, when I'm teaching, I need you to help me. So I don't know what your style is, but I'll tell you what mine is and you jump in with me. If I like say, are you ready? You guys say, we're ready. And if I say, I'm gonna pa I pause and I leave a word for you to fill in, but I've already said it and you're gonna repeat it, you repeat it. it you, you're gonna just join in with me. We're gonna do this together. So I'll say, are you ready? And then you say, we're ready. Are you ready? Good, let's do this, let's get in. Because community is God's, you gotta listen to this, you gotta, you gotta absorb it. Community, this is God's big idea. Community is how God sanctifies us. God uses you to chip away at me and craft me into the masterpiece God designs me to be. God uses me to chip away and craft Christ-likeness in others. Yes, the conversation last week mattered, solitude. And God chips away at you in solitude and prayer and connection with him and intimacy, but it's not enough. God created community for sanctification to happen, and you have to get in community. You have to get in community for four things to happen. And I wanna lay these four things out on the baseball diamond, not because you care about baseball, you may, you may not, because I want it to be memorable and accessible. It's kind of the way I formed some of these thoughts back in the day to help my kids. It's how I raise my kids, how I disciple people, I help business people and, and mentor and pour into their life. And there's four things that, that have to develop. So we'll just kind of put it on the diamond just to make it accessible. If you wanna jot it down, snap a picture, whatever. But this is what we're gonna talk about today. That we have to get in community to get on purpose with God. It is in community that God forms us back into his purpose. We have to get in community, home plate to get on purpose with God. Then first base, to get serious about sin. So in community, we help each other break through and get free from the things that imprison us. And then get in community, second base, to get past yourself. If you never get past yourself, you can't have full and fulfilling relationships. And then third base, to get better than you are. Get in community to get better than you are because you can't become all that God created you to be, all on your lonesome. And ultimately to bring that all back to the purposes of God. Now listen, to say this sounds simple. I'll just time out for a moment. I know that sounds simplistic. I know it's more complicated than that. We're gonna teach through it, try and be helpful. But it's as simple as saying, get on base and score. And as complicated as actually getting on base and scoring, like at the pro level baseball. I'm a fan of Atlanta Braves and They've had a great season, 104 wins, equaled their best season in 25 years. The Atlanta Braves pays $200 million a year in salaries to baseball players to do what? To get on base and to score. It's so easy. And yet, and yet, in postseason, while they're going after a championship, they have four games, and in those four games, they had 129 at-bats. And with 129 at-bats, do you know how many times they crossed home plate and scored? Eight. Why? Because it's really easy to say and really hard to do, because you got opposition. So we're gonna teach through those four thoughts. And most of the time, I feel like I fail. Like, it is a battle. I mean, I struggle 
to get on base and get around this diamond. Anybody else struggle? Anybody else know that the things we're talking about are complicated? Just a second, most of you are not. Are you that good? I mean, let me try again. How many of you struggle with the kinds of things we're about to talk about? Now look around, see the people not raising their hands. See the self-righteous? There's always some, there's always some. If you're that good, write a book. We all need to read it. So let's, so, so let's, get, let's get on. Let's, get, let's sit at home, play. Let's have the conversation. Get in community to get on purpose with God. You know, when Ephesians 2.10 talks about us being God's handiwork, crafting Christ in us, this Ephesians, it's not just a place. It's not just a book in the Bible. It's not just a letter in the New Testament. It's a particular people. It's a church, like saying cross point. And Paul is writing to the distinctive of who these people are, set apart from the rest of the world, wholly committed to this chiseling kind of process where God is crafting you and sculpting you into his masterpiece because you are a peculiar kind of people. Now, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you're invited in. God's drawing you to himself. Maybe you're spiritually unresolved. Glad you're listening in. Glad you're in the room. Glad you're at a campus. If you know Jesus, then you know there are distinctives about who we are, who you are in Christ. So look at the scripture when, the, when this book starts. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, by the will of God, by the what of God? Will. By the will of God. See, now we are, listen, we are a people who gets on God's will. We, we have our own will, but we surrender it to God's will. We don't do life by our will our way. What makes us distinctive is whose will we seek to follow. See, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, to God's holy people, a distinct people who God has made holy and he's making whole in Christ. In fact, he goes on, the faithful in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. He's not just the guy upstairs. He's not just somebody. He's not just a, you know, a being. Oh, I think there's a, cre- I think there's somebody. I think there's something. Else. No, no. You've settled it. He's my heavenly father. There's an intimacy and an engagement and a definition to your life and who you are. He's not just God. He's God, my father. My father. He doesn't stop there. Grace and peace to you from God, our father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord, not just Jesus. Our, your personal Lord and Savior, Jesus. This is a distinctive people. See, you are in Christ, which means you are for Christ, committed to Christ, seeking to do the will of Christ in a culture that does their own will their way. And so we get in community to help each other because God's using one another to chisel away our will, our way, so that we can be on God's purpose, his will, his way. I was in a conversation sometime back in 2018, and God used this person, this community, this conversation to shape me. 
It's a guy by the name of Jeff Foxworthy. He's a comedian. You may or may not have heard of him. Uh, Jeff wouldn't know me right now if he saw me, but, but I, I know him, and I got invited into a conversation with Jeff because he was going to do an interview with me for our church for a weekend series, and, and so it was awesome. I, I loved his uh, comedic work, and if you've heard of him, then you know he's famous for You Might Be a Redneck. Anybody ever hear that stuff? Is it, is it, I, I wrote some down. I didn't use it for service. We were just tight on top. But I wrote, I, I, I stole five. Can I do a little bit of you might be a redneck? Can I do a little bit of that? Tell your, tell your neighbor you might be a redneck. Just practice it. You might be a redneck. Good. Okay. Here, here, here we go. Here's stuff he's famous for. If you've ever cut your grass and found a car, you might be a redneck. If you think loading the dishwasher is getting your wife drunk, you might be a redneck. If you're offended, I did not write these. If you're offended that I chose them, KQ said these were great, use them. If you think the stock market has a fence around it, you might be a redneck. If you've ever financed a tattoo, you might be a redneck. If your dad walks you to school because you're in the same grade, you might be a redneck. So during this interview with him, as a person of faith, he was unpacking his journey, and I was surprised that he had a worse dad's story than I did. I mean, it's rough. My parents got married in high school, never graduated high school, had to get married, ended up with four kids. Eventually, I was born their third when they were like 20 years old. They divorced when I was 10, 12. My dad was a, 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 a spiritual leader of sorts, but had a, a different life simultaneously, so that it was incongruent. It blew up the family, lots of breakdown. And my dad and brothers moved out, and so I'm with a single mom and my younger sister. It was just a mess of a life. By the time I'm 16, I'm now a person of faith, and I, I'm sitting down with my dad as a 16-year-old saying, why did you lie? And, and, and I'm trying to have an, a come-to-Jesus conversation with my dad, and it did not go well at all. And then by 17, I'm, you know, just, I need your help for something, and he wouldn't help. And I, so I settled at 17. I'm done with that. And I'll never ask him for anything again the rest of my life, and I never have. And that was the end of our relationship. So while I'm talking to Jeff Foxworthy, I'm 57 years old and I haven't had a conversation with my dad in 40 years. He's never met his grandchildren. My, grandkid, my kids have no idea who he is. They've never met, all, all they know is this, that my dad helped me be a good dad by teaching me how not to be a dad. And Jeff is talking about what his dad did which was way beyond mine and how he ruined his life but he forgave and restored. And off camera I'm like, tell me about that journey and he tells me and he said, well I just, you know, God did this for me, and my dad, yeah, ruined my life, but, you know, he's my dad. So I had to forgive and restore. And, and I walked away from that conversation. I thought, wow, I, I'm past the need to get past that. I've forgiven my dad, but you, no, 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 no. And then I'm, I'm a few weeks later, and I'm in this season of praying and asking God, God, give me more of you. Give me more of you. Give me more of you. That's just because there's more of you to be had. And while I'm in this season talking to Jeff and more of you, more of you, God has a moment where he whispers in my soul and says, if you want more of me, you got to be more like me. 
I'm like, God, I am like you. I've been doing this forever. How am I not like you? He said, well, I forgive and restore. You don't. And sometimes you have to help God. He's, he's busy. There's a lot of people. And so when he said that, I'm like, oh, you're wrong, but you're God. You, you know, you're not wrong often, but this time you are. And I gave him a list of all the people who have offended me along the way that I've forgiven and restored. I'm like, hello, evidence. And then God like made his list that started with my dad. I'm like, well, you're right. He says, so forgive and restore. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want more of you anymore. <laughs> if that's what more of you is, no, thank you. I mean, like, I'm not doing that. I mean, have you ever discovered what it means to follow Jesus and decided that's not the best idea? Okay, I'm going to put my hand up first, and then anybody else who wants to join, I'll just wait, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait, because that was a bad idea. We say, I say, I want more of you, God. I want the will of God in my life. That is not easily done. I get thrown out, striking out at home plate on that thing often because it works against my will, my way. And over the next several weeks, God messed with me until finally I yielded, and then I'm like, I don't even know what I'm gonna do. I got my dad's cell phone number from my sister, and I texted him. I'm 57, and I am nervously texting. Hey, you may remember you once had a third son. My name's Kevin, by the way. That's literally how the text sounds. I'm gonna fly up to Michigan for a conference thing. If you're available, would you like to do lunch? I mean, I, that, that's how dumb it sounds. And then we ended up doing lunch and we had a really meaningful conversation and went all the way back to 16. Dad, you lied to me. He said, yes, I did. You lived a lie. Yes, I did. You ruined my life. Yes, I did. I'm so sorry. He's come to faith and he's grown through it and I've matured through it and he was 77 and I'm 57 and we had a few tears and we forgave and restored. And I came home and told my kids, hey, guess what? Um, your grandpa, dad, and I were, he's coming for Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> my kids are like, everybody gonna show up for Thanksgiving this year. <laughs> and so this is a picture of the first picture that my dad and I have had since I was 16, 17 years old, and with my kids and some of my grandkids, his great-grandkids, and that picture is a picture of the impossible because if you will get on God's will, God's way, his purpose, he can do in you what you could never do on your own, but you're gonna have to make some decisions to get in community to get on God's purpose, and maybe that's why you're here today. And then you get to first base. First base is to get serious about sin. The Apostle Paul in chapter one describes now who, who, not just who they are, but what God's doing in them. Look at this. For he chose us in him in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So God is not merely saying, get on my will, but getting on his will, his way. And then he's going to like in relationships, he's going to say, now you got, there's stuff you're going to have to just chip away. And in relationship, you're going to talk about, man, we got to get serious about sin and chip that stuff away because that's not Jesus in you. And that kind of stuff. Listen, we got to get honest to God about what sin really does. We got to tell the truth about sin. Sin blows up your life. It destroys you. Sin promises pleasure but puts you in prison. 
And we got to be honest with each other that this is true. I'm coming off something of a sabbatical, and so I've not been working for a, a bit, just transitioned our church to a, a new senior pastor. I'm founding pastor. Anyhow, in that, I've had a lot of freedom, which means freedom to eat. <laughs> it's fantastic. And I told my wife, I've I I got to get this 10 pounds off and get serious about, about getting fit. And within 24 hours, we're at a restaurant, and I, I ate healthy, reasonably, at that. And then we were driving away, and I said, you know, we're going to pass Crumble Cookie. <laughs> How many of you know Crumble? Jesus is in that. <laughs> Church, Crumble, very similar experience. And I'm like, well, you want, you want, I know you love Crumble Cookie. And she says, yeah, but you're trying to be serious. I said, well, I am, but this is for you because I love you. Now, how many of you know what I'm doing? I'm just getting permission for my own sin. Which, by the way, let me just make a point. The reason to be in community in the church is not to give each other permission to sin. It's to help each other get free from sin. Well, that got quiet. <laughs> Let's go back to crumble cookies. <laughs> the truth about cookies is that they promise fun, and then your clothes don't fit. So we stop at Crumble. And I'm just going to get her a couple cookies, but they come in four-pack. So I picked a couple that she might like, or somebody might. We're empty nesters, so I didn't know who was going to eat it. But. And then we got home. I nibbled at one of them a little bit. And then that night, around midnight, I woke up, and I heard a voice in the house, one Jesus wasn't a burglar, it was a cookie calling me. Don't tell me you don't know, don't judge me. Do not judge me. How many of you know cookies, cakes, anything can call you? How many have felt the pull? I felt the pull, the temptation. I went down, had a sweet moment with that cookie. Certain clothes still don't fit. Why? Because I say I'm serious, but I'm not serious. Because if you're serious, you don't have to do serious things. When we were on this sabbatical, we had a trip, and part of it included uh, London, England, and we visited places where John Wesley, the, God used him in a revival season in the 1700s that was crossed England and areas of Europe and came to the States and is profound. And you know, you know what that movement was centered in in great part? Accountability. What, what is the word? Accountability. They said get in community, get in community to get serious about sin. And for that to happen, you've got to have accountability. And, and they would build relationships whereby each week they would sit down together and they would tell each other, where are you tempted and what are you doing about it? And tell me what sins you've committed and what you're doing about it. Because we got a spiritual war in our lives and God has drawn the line and he loves us too much to let us live in sin when in fact that's the thing that's blowing up our lives. So take it seriously and get help from one another and, and let God, if you will, chip away at the things that cause you to fall into sin. Get honest to God about it. So when I planted the church, when Marsh and I planned the church, I went and built accountability with two, three other guys and I'm still in accountability over 30 years where we talk honestly about what tempts us, what we're doing about it, where we sin, what we're doing about it and how we fight that battle before God. Maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe you keep talking like you're living in freedom. 
but you're in prison because there's sins that are secrets. See, in these relationships of accountability, to get in community is to get in accountability and you break the secret. In great part, breaking the power of sin requires you to break the secret. Maybe it's true you're only as sick as your secrets. And that can't be solved in solitude. That comes in community. Second base. Second base is to get past yourself. Now, the Apostle Paul gets blunt with Ephesians here, and he starts to urge him. He says, now, I got passion for this. Church, I want you to see this. I want you to experience this. I want you to understand it. Let's put it on the screen. Read this. Look at it with me. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In other words, really become fully sanctified. I urge you to let God do this complete work where he He chips away all the things that are not Jesus because this full and fulfilling life, this holy and whole life, the best of God in your friendships, the best of God in your single life, in your dating life, in your married life, in your family life, in your career, in your finances. You want to see the fullness of God? You want to see what God calls blessed? You go get your life free from sin and then you get your life in a place where you truly could get past yourself. Look at that scripture again. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely, this is it, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You've got to figure out how to get past yourself and love other people. It sounds like God, doesn't it? First and greatest commandment, love God, then love your neighbor as yourself. You've got to get past yourself. As a habit, Marsha and I would go to the workout club on my day off, and on the way to the workout club, directly in front of it was an Einstein bagel. And then we would order a little, you know, thin, disciplined uh, egg white bagel, and, and, and then a cinnamon sugar with honey almond schmear <laughs> on the side. But we were highly disciplined, so we would split the cinnamon bagel. So we only each got half. And then we would go work it off at the workout club. So when we ordered it, we'd go sit down at our seat. We'd sit down at the seat, and we'd wait, and then they call our name. And because I love my wife, and I'm here to serve, and I love others first, I love her. So I walk to the counter. And when I get to the counter, I always have a dilemma, a battle, a problem. And, and here's what it is. Um, I ask them to cut it in half, and they never do. What, how is this difficult? Measure it, get a ruler, and cut it in half. But they don't. One is always bigger. One is always better. One has more cinnamon sugar. One has more schmear. I mean, what are you doing? I said half. And I don't want to be aware of it. I'm just immediately, intuitively, I just go to pick it up, and I'm like, that's better. I, I can see which half is better. I'm not trying to do this. I have a gift. And, 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 and I know it's only a bite difference and a little bit of sugar, but that's the one I want. And so now I'm in a dilemma between the moment of picking it up and walking to the seat where I'm going to place half on Marsha's little napkin, which half am I going to put there? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the essence of marriage. Because between the counter and the table, I'm at war inside. She has no idea. I'm like, what am I going to do? 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 I want to lick the one so that I say, you wouldn't want that. 
And then I put the better half of the bagel on her napkin without any conversation. And I am transformed if I will consistently do that. Months, literally years later, I used this in an illustration on a Sunday. And afterwards, she said, oh, I had no idea you were doing that. <laughs> what? I'm sacrificing like that all the time, repeatedly, and I'm getting no points? I mean, I want points. I at least want to be acknowledged for the sacrifice. So now she knows. You know, the secret of marriage is not that complicated. Give your spouse the better half of the bagel, whether they know it or not. Listen. No marriage survives when you take the better half of the bagel. And every marriage wins that gives the better half of the bagel. Marriage is nothing more than getting past yourself, which, by the way, is the secret to family and the secret to friendship and the secret to church and the secret to coworkers and the secret to team. Maybe the Holy Spirit has you here to just get out the hammer and chisel and say, you're going to have to get in community. Don't get away from it. Get in it. And when it's your turn, just give the better half of the bagel. Third base. Get in community to get better than you are. You know, God loves to grow things, and in Genesis, he tells us how he designed life, and that is with seeds. Seeds are the little things. Listen, if you never thought about it, God created seeds because he likes to grow things. Things are small, and he likes to build them into things that are Big, beautiful, powerful, profound, that bring glory to him. You are in process of being sanctified, being made into his masterpiece. But he likes to grow things. And Ephesians talks about growing us into maturity. Instead of speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. See, Paul is talking about growing the church growing the, the follower of Christ, growing the kingdom of God, growing you, and helping you become better than you are because you have all sorts of lids and limits. You, you have talents and abilities, but they need to develop and they need to mature. You have thinking and ways of thinking and ways that you've been formed by the world, but you need to mature those and expand those, and, and, and you need to become more than you are. You, you have ways of life that eventually you will hit the end of yourself, and when you do, God says, Kind of get a mentor and get bigger and better than you. If you think about it, this church in Ephesus from Paul was planted and then handed off to Timothy. Think about this. Ephesus, you're reading the letter. Paul started the church, but who took over the church and led the church. As soon as you get a little further into the, into the New Testament, you discover that Timothy is the pastor of the church and Paul mentored him. If I could cut to the chase, I would just say this, get a mentor. <laughs> Get, get, a, get, to some, get someone who's further along than you spiritually because there are places God will take you in making you his masterpiece and crafting you that you can never get to without a voice that's beyond your experience. John Maxwell became a mentor of mine in my late 30s, absolutely transformed my life, and I could tell a 100 stories 
He's a leadership guru of sorts. And, but I'll just pick one story. About two to three years into the relationship and he's helping me break through leadership and seeing things I'd never seen before and just shaping my thinking and helping me see breakthroughs spiritually and, and, and the way I lead a team and, and, and build the, the kingdom and, and then inviting me into doing conferencing. And I had, at that season of time, I had a son who was turning 15, a daughter who was turning 13, a, a, young, a, a third child who was turning nine. And listen, I wanted four or five kids when we got married. After I had a child, I wanted four or three. After I had two, I wanted two. I'm just honest about it. My wife wanted three, so we have three. So we had three kids. And, and all, I, I'm good with kids, but I'm better with them the older they are. So once we got past the toddler state, you know, the infant, the toddler, they're adorable. Yes, love them. Beautiful, wonderful, great. But like, nice to get past. I want to have a conversation. If you're going to cry, tell me why. I don't want to. Well, I don't know. If the passy doesn't work, we're done. I, do, I, don't know, I don't know what to do. And I need sleep. So you need to sleep. I, I, just get me past that. I can't do that stage. So now I'm in my 40s. I'm being mentored. I'm growing my family. The king Kingdom's expanding. I'm loving life. John's helping me break through. And then I'm at this conference and my wife calls me. And all she said was, honey. And I said, that's not possible. Because if you've been married long enough, you know they just say something and you can feel it. I said, you can't be pregnant. We're in our 40s and we did stuff so that that can't be. And I don't want one. God bless them. <laughs> I have three, three is enough. No, just, no, please God, no. <laughs> yes, end of the story, we had a fourth, he's 20, he's in college, God, I love him, he's awesome. I wouldn't change anything, but let me get back here, but in the moment, yeah, I'm done. In fact, I wrote my resignation as senior pastor of our church and was contemplating walking out of ministry because I just can't publicly keep living a lie where I am so frustrated with God and my faith because I can't live this out. I don't want to start over in my 40s. It's killing everything I dreamed. And I sat down with John. This is the power of a mentor. He said, Kevin, you don't know what to do when a dream dies, do you? He said, listen, have a funeral and get a new dream. Write it down. Changed my life. Be honest to God about the loss. That dream is dead. Now get a new dream. Oh, what God could do if I would grow up to a new dream. God is the God of new dreams. He not only forgives and restores. He not only frees you from sin. He not only helps you get past yourself in relationships, but when things seemingly go wrong, even as you're trying to become the best he created you to be and get better than you are, he can plant fresh dreams in you. So what are you going to do with this teaching? You are God's handiwork. He's crafting you. But what are you going to do with it? What's your part? So Crosspoint, the band so creative, so gifted, wrote a new song. They're going to sing it over you. It gives you a moment before the Lord. So here across the campuses online, would you bow your heads with me and prepare to receive that song? And I want to pray over you. Father, there are things right now going on in our soul, and it's as intimate and individual as we are. 
What do you want us to do with this? Maybe we're going to pick a base and say, I got to give attention to that. I got to get in community to see you get me back on purpose or to help deal with this sin and be honest to God or to get past myself, God, or I really do need a mentor. I need to be a mentor. God, I don't know what you're stirring, but you are sanctifying us. I pray right now for fresh capacity to hear, courage to say yes to you. And God, would you make us more holy like you and whole like you desire to. Do that over us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is our prayer today. Take 
Sweet sir.